Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Star Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida, featuring a top-ranked featherweight bout between Josh Emmett and Ilya Topuria on top of a card that's... It's all right. You know, it's... Uh, they, they're putting it on ABC, so it had to be better than average, and they're putting it in front of a crowd, so it had to be better than average. You know, this, think- this happened the last time. I looked at this card, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Better than the last one, certainly better than the next one. And then the moment you say it's an ABC card, I'm like, oh, this card is trash. Yeah. This is not a network TV card. No. Come on, guys. No. This is the face you want to show the world? What are you doing? Yeah. You want all of the 75-year-olds who still watch TV to be exposed to this? It's really weird, too, because it, it is actually, you say 75-year-olds, and it is on, it is like a morning card, too. <laughs> okay. So it is on, like, right in the middle of the day. Yeah, so all the 70-year-olds will be watching this with dinner. Yep. This will be on at the retirement home. And this is what, yeah, this is not a... Remember the Fox cards, Zane? Yes. Remember how good they were? <laughs> I remember when the heavyweight title was contested on Fox. Oh, I mean, that was just for the beginning of the deal. That only happened the once, right? But Sure, but... Even then, they did have lesser title fights on they some had cards, regular. They? they would have one to two title fights a year on TV. Yeah, I think maybe like... I remember Jacek Gadelia 2 was a, maybe not on Fox, maybe even on FS1 or something, but that was a fight night card with a with the Jacek title fight. Yeah, Amazing main to, event. They used to have a couple title fights a year on fight night cards on TV. So. Yeah. Well, hey, the main event of this one is Gangbusters. It is. It is a great fight. The co-main event is a very solid booking, and then a lot of the rest of it is fine. Yeah, it it has fighters we're interested in. It has fights we're interested in. Uh, it just doesn't have, you, you know, they, they really are saving all of their ranked fighters for pay-per-view. Yeah. Like, I guess, is Brendan Allen still ranked? Let me, let me. Probably, Brendan Allen, oh, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, he was for like a day, and he is not. No, he is. He's ranked 13. So, okay. Brendan Allen is still ranked, and Rebus Barber is a ranked fight. Emmett Tapuria is a ranked fight. Mm-hmm. And surely I, that's it. 
that sums it up unless Tabitha Ricci has managed to steal a bottom end uh, woman's straw weight ranking. I mean, she had uh, ranked 50 at women's straw weight. And to me, that's not really ranked, is it? Like, yeah. The, the yeah. UFC sort of made an unprecedented decision in, in deciding to have a top 15, which I like. I like seeing who's just yeah. outside the top 10. Sure. But it's not the same thing as being yeah. top 10. Anyway, uh, it's a card, basically. Yeah. 2023 should yeah, be uh, the motto of the year. It's a great because it's not. It's a fine card, and we get a lot of good fights to talk about. Okay, <laughs> you say so. We did. I mean, it's it's got. I know. I know. I'm just. It's got its low points, but you know. Yeah, I, I'll take it. What else, what choice do I have? I'll take it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this main event: Josh Emmett, Ilya Topuria. And um, really, I have basically just kind of one question for this fight, Mm. which is how prepare, how much can Ilya Topuria fight outside the pocket? And I guess the other, the follow-up to that would be, will it matter? But the, that really, it's honestly just how how much can Ilya Topuria fight outside the pocket? Mm-hmm. That's the only question that that I really think needs to be had in this fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, I would say probably better than a lot of fighters, just because he does have a jab. Yeah, but he doesn't but like it's, to. It's clearly not where he wants to be. Yeah. Um. I think the question that that you have to ask alongside that is like, can Josh Emmett keep him out of the pocket? Because that's sort of the that's the question you're begging, right? Like, uh, yeah. In order to test, in order to test Tapuria's ability to fight outside the pocket, given that he is relentlessly pursuing that range at all times, you would have to see Josh Emmett deny him that range. Yeah, but I, I well, I guess I would say that I'm actually more concerned about Ilya Topuria in the pocket with Josh Emmett. I think both guys should be concerned. I mean, well, they should both be concerned. <laughs> that, that's that. What I'm saying is that's a fifty-fifty fight. When I see Josh Emmett having to have a carefully crafted technical range fight, that's usually the worst kind of fight Josh Emmett can have. Yeah. So my concern for Ilya Topuria, if he stays outside, is not that big. My concern for Ilya Topuria, if he just charges in and sits down in front of Josh Emmett, like Topuria is very good. He's the better, cleaner, more technical puncher inside. Mm -hmm. But this is a man who got stung by Damon Jackson and who got his shit absolutely rocked by Jai Herbert. Mm -hmm. And... He came back and won both those fights, but Josh Emmett hits way harder than both of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. So you're just sort of coming at this from the opposite uh, angle from me because yeah, uh, that seems to imply that it would probably be a good idea for Tuporia to fight outside. I and think I, so. I mean, I think that's just a different kind of fifty-fifty at best, isn't it? Yeah. Josh I, Emmett I, is fast. You know, he's he 
I mean, he certainly has more experience fighting at long range and has held it together in some very closely contested long rangey fights against very good fighters like Calvin Cater and, and others besides. I would say if Tapuria tried to do that, I mean, I don't know how that goes for Tapuria. I wouldn't want this to be the fight where I find out necessarily. Um, sure. I could see a degree of that, though, because certainly uh, the one thing that has concerned me about Tapura is his insane recklessness. Yeah. That that's he, he has long stretches of looking like a fantastic technical pocket fighter. Uh-huh. Uh, but he also has just bursts of like flinging himself to the floor when he misses punches, just hideously overswinging. That is something I would like to see tempered. Yeah, and maybe I mean, something. He, he, mm-hmm. He's a fighter, I think, who believes very strongly that he will not lose. And I mean, yeah, that's a good belief. But it is he believes it to a reckless degree of disrespect for, sure. for the person he is facing. Yeah, he he believes it as strongly as, for example, Armin Sarukian believed it last weekend against Joachim Silva. Yeah. And as a result, he got himself into trouble. Mm-hmm. And that has happened to Deporia against, um, I mean, Herbert is a dangerous striker, but largely against significantly less dangerous punchers than Josh Emmett. Yeah. O- on the other hand, uh, I'm, I will reiterate, I don't like the idea of Taporia taking this as his fight to say, I'm going to see what fighting on the outside is like, because he's never tried it. He's True. always been a freight train. He has always been a really aggressive pressure fighter. I think, would I would this be a good time to try to temper that and to try to be a little more methodical? You've got five rounds to work. Can you kind of build that pressure a little more carefully? Can you set some of the more reckless tendencies to the wayside? That, I think, would be a great idea. Mm-hmm. But I... I I think he should pressure because that's what he does. Yeah, it's it's just like when I see Josh Emmett get most uh, stripped down and undressed technically is when somebody can be technical from range. Yeah. You know, that is the point where you really see the limitations of Emmett's game, that everything for him really revolves around his ability to stay way outside and then leap into the pocket and be really in close. Yeah. Then again, the two times I've seen Josh Emmett finished, uh, it was against lunatics. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, and I, and I think that it, that to me was the difficulty in approaching this was, you know, I always try to find sort of parallel matchups, mm-hmm. try to get a, you know, how do these style archetypes work against each other? And there are there are a few good ones on Emmett's resume. Decent points of comparison, you know, with variations. I think Yair Rodriguez, a completely different frame and different skill set. Yeah. But also did fight like a lunatic who felt he could never be knocked out by any mortal. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that did. Josh Emmett didn't enjoy that experience. And then there's Jeremy Stevens who had a 50-50 war with him that was not 50-50 because Josh Emmett got KO'd. Yeah. And then there was the other pressure fighter is Shane Burgos. And so for me, it was trying to find the where Taporia sits in a sort of Burgos-Stevens-Rodriguez spectrum. And obviously, those are a lot of very different fighters. Yeah. And this was com- the difficulty was compounded by the fact that Taporia 
has faced one big, lanky, like counter-punching kickboxer mm-hmm. in Jai Herbert, a notably fragile one. Yeah. And otherwise, like, grapplers. Yeah, he's never really faced somebody that he couldn't physically overwhelm. Yeah, that's an, another very good point. Yeah, it, it, people generally have a, a, a significant athletic disadvantage. Um, so I started thinking about Emmett's fight with Burgos and why that was such a brilliant performance for Josh Emmett and also why he's not really been able to recreate anything that like he, he hasn't won that comprehensively since. Mm-hmm. That was a phenomenal. That was like I, I don't know an even better version of like when Sterling fought Pedro Munoz, and yeah. we're all like, oh maybe you know maybe he can win this. This looks like a tough fight, and he just went in there and just walked that line of doing exactly what he needed to do for 15 super hard minutes. Mm-hmm. It was a very very good showing from Josh Emmett, and he hasn't fought a Shane Burgos since, but he also hasn't fought anyone else who has allowed him to look that good that consistently. And so what is it about Shane Burgos? I ask myself. And I think it's that Shane Burgos, uh, is slow with his pressure. Yeah. And does not really have super consistent tools to bridge the gap into his range. This is Um, very true. Shane Burgos doesn't have a good jab to like step in hard on that then flows into another combination. He's well, sort of, I mean, I think you, you could also say too, that Shane Burgos's whole style is built around introducing the brawl. Yes. Like what he is doing is he is stepping forward with the intention of making you brawl with him. He wants yeah. to introduce you to a 50, 50 fight with him that he believes he can win. Right. You know, the chin's always he always leads with his face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He he leads with his defense or just as often with his face. Yeah. And he's happy to be there. He's happy to be hit. Right. Literally and, just walking into range. Yeah. What are you gonna so, do? Yeah. And what this created for Josh Emmett was not so much a lot of counter punching opportunities. I mean, if you rewatch that fight, it's not exactly a counter punching masterclass. Mm-hmm. Though there are some good counters from Emmett. It is an intercepting, interruptive striking performance from Josh Emmett. Yeah. It is sensing that very first moment when Burgos wanders into into his range, stinging him, or seeing Burgos loading up to throw and hitting him at the same time as he's trying to throw, and then resetting and making Burgos redo the whole process of kind of waddling into the edge of range. Mm-hmm. There were basically what it, why it looked so good is that it was a fight that Josh Emmett, uh, despite doing a lot, was in control of the pace at all times mm-hmm. because he was the one initiating the exchanges off the back foot and then resetting. And Burgos had to reset like even more slowly. Yeah. No one else has done that. And certainly not the other two hyper aggressive guys in Jeremy Stevens and Yaya Rodriguez, both of whom basically just ran at him. Yeah. And tried to extend the exchanges and had no fear of his power. And uh, in both cases, Emmett kind of collapsed. Because mm-hmm. I, I think what he wants is he, he spent his entire career conditioned to think people have to respect my power. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he's very much a fighter who he wants to 
get you off of him. He wants to create, mm-hmm. like I say, his whole his whole style is built around being way outside. Yeah. Like you give Emmett an infinite, like you give him, uh, you know, the uh, the training mode uh, fighter right. and like a fighting game. Right. Where you just have the opponent sitting there stationary, just kind of bobbing. Yeah. And Emmett would back up seven feet. And he would dart in with that classic Team Alpha Male hook that, uh, you know, and try to step off at an angle. Or he would pop in and hit a two or three punch combo and he would reset way back outside. Yeah. Dangerous as he is in the pocket. He is fundamentally a pot shotter. Yeah. He is a pot shotting fighter. He's you don't think of Emmett and think. Oh yeah, that those performances where Emmett would just sit down and brawl with somebody, come yeah. what may, no matter what. When that yeah. happens, it happens on the opponent's terms. Yeah. And as much as I would love more points of comparison on Taporia's side of things, I can't help but notice that when it has happened, Emmett has lost. Mm-hmm. Emmett is not a guy, he's terrifying in a brawl, but he has not won a brawl in the UFC. Yeah. And so I, uh, once I, I thought of that, I, I felt I just sort of had to lean to Puria with like the massive caveat. I mean, it's so massive. It barely even <laughs> deserves the term caveat. It's right there on the surface of the same matchup that, as you said at the top, it's very 50, 50. Yeah. No like matter how comfortable him it is. If he lands a shot, like the ones that have already been able to hurt Tapuria very early into his fights. Yeah. Doesn't matter if he's comfortable, he can still take your head off. Uh, you have to get through that zone. You have to get to the point where he is genuinely panicking and gassing as he did against Rodriguez. I mean, that is a point in Tapuria's favor that like Yair with very different weapons, but a big part of Yair's performance there were brutal body kicks. Mm-hmm. Taporia is a super consistent body puncher. Yep. So he is going to have an attritive element that Emmett doesn't really have. Um, I also think, again, I'd love to see a measure Taporia, but I also think it's good for him that um, when you see his defense working, he, he he's a boxer. I mean, and the big shot that hurt him against Jai Herbert was a head kick that he slipped into. When it's boxing offense, Taporia's defense is a lot more reliable. Yeah, and leads to some really uh, nasty return fire because he's a super aggressive uh, counterpuncher. And um, Emmett is pretty much a headhunting boxer. So there's a lot of material once you get his timing, which more often than not is still the case with Emmett. He's fast, but ultimately people time him. Yeah, it's it's still very fairly one speed. Yeah, uh, and, and so. It's it shouldn't be too difficult for uh, Tapuria's to to pick up on the the defensive uh, moves that he needs. So I I do favor Tapuria, but it cannot be ignored that like the fight I see Tapuria winning is, I mean, sixty forty a, a suicide mission. Like the, yeah. the the danger that he will be walking into is greater than against literally any fighter he's ever faced before. He has never faced a puncher or just an all-around athlete like Josh Emmett. Yep. Because, too, if he doesn't burn Emmett's gas tank, even if he does, honestly, 
Emmett will still also hit very, very hard for yeah. every round of the fight. Emmett is a natural puncher. We have seen him get tired and still have the power. He's not. I mean, there is a an element of power that does come from his explosiveness and his mm-hmm. speed. But he still hits hard enough to hurt you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I got to pick Tapuria, too. The, the assertiveness and the persistence in the form. I mean, he does... When he is in the in the pocket looking to extend an exchange, he doesn't he he is both tighter with his strikes and he doesn't get lost defensively like Emmett does over a stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of what we're talking about with like Emmett not being a brawler is there gets to be a point in a brawl where you go like three or four strikes in and suddenly it's like, oh, wait. Where where is my defense supposed to be right now while I'm doing this? Mm-hmm. What what's the where is my my opponent's body position? Like because that stuff, the longer you exchange extend that exchange, the more difficult it becomes to track the chaos of your where your your defense is supposed to be, where your body is supposed to be, right. and where your opponent's body is. You know, a one two, that's that's really easy and natural for pretty much anybody but you throw four strikes and you're like oh wait where's my head right now Mm -hmm. in relation to their right hand Mm -hmm. i have no idea yep and that's where your real natural you know that's what that's what defines your real natural pocket brawlers pocket punchers and your people who just have power just throw Right. Big shots is the ability and the confidence to see and know where you are yeah. through prolonged exchanges. You have to be super experienced. You have to be super relaxed uh-huh. in that danger zone. And you have to be very skilled to be yeah. able to keep track of all those, yeah, like uh, complications. Yeah. So that is definitely, you know, I think Topuri is better there than Emmett. Yeah. Honestly. No doubt. No doubt. I think he's more relaxed. And I think he's more. I think he's more skilled. I think his boxing is more practiced to yeah. have those exchanges. But he's also capable, I think, of boxing just as bad, if not worse, than Emmett. Again, sure, he does. Yeah. He because of that uh, complete belief in his yeah. ability to weather whatever and destroy every person put in front of him. He he goes into maniac mode in every fight. I would love to see this be an aggressive, but like principled showing. Yeah. From Ilya Tsuporia. Now's the time to show that you can be a polished version of of the guy that you already are, which is already very impressive. But there's no need for some of those super crazy risks. Yep. The the pressure that comes from the footwork and the feints and the jab that he has, which is very good. All of that is more than enough to keep a person uncomfortable, to keep them making mistakes. You don't have to try to seize every single passing opportunity. And you and and if you do feel that way, you shouldn't be throwing punches so hard that you lose your balance or like headbutt the fence. Like I don't want to see that from you anymore. That you that's going to get punished. If yeah. not by Emmett, then by somebody else. There's a lot of fighters at the upper end of this division with incredible chins and mm-hmm. with incredible power. Yep. Yeah, it, it, this should be – this will be an interesting first – this will be an interesting step up. It's I think it's the right step up for Tapuria where it is like – Yeah. This is a problem you can solve. Emmett is not – you know, he's uh, he is, as we've said, he's a very 
fairly one speed, one kind of target, one kind of note striker. Mm-hmm. And he can be totally undressed in a fight. Like yeah. we have seen Josh Emmett just be, you know, like what yeah, Rodriguez just did to him. Yeah, exactly. He looked bad. He looked bad. He, he looked did, his, really bad. His game did not function in that environment at all. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we know it's possible to to just break him down. So so I have to pick Toporia here. I have to pick the guy who I think has the power and the technical skill to be able to go and the aggression to go after Emmett and do that. But going after Emmett and going wild at him too, like yep. you will walk through serious fire doing yep. that. You know what I'd love to see next for Taporia, whether or not he gets through this? Mm. I'd love to see Taporia versus Dan Ige. Sure. Because I think that is somebody, if this doesn't do it, that's somebody who's going to give him reason to reflect on just how reckless he can be. Because that is someone who can take a tremendous beating. Yeah. And who is increasingly a really, really good counterpuncher. It's true. Who can, it's true. Who can fight yeah. in the pocket very well. It's, it, the, it, Ige doesn't have as much natural, ex, like one shot, explosive. Right. He, physical presence to deal with this Emmett. Right. Emmett He's is fast enough and he is precise and technical. Yeah, but he he might be a he might be a more challenging fighter over multiple rounds for Topuria. Yeah, just because he would be able to survive and offer answers to more of what Topuria wants to do over a longer term. Right, because I like Topuria a lot. I want to see his game, you know, cultivated in a way. Yeah. I want to see him get opportunities to learn what I think are some pretty obvious shortcomings, but ones which. You know, I mean, and fighters, fighters learn lessons, fighting style is so intrinsic and so like personality tied that those lessons are learned in the same way people growing up learn lessons. Like mm-hmm. you need some, you need some trauma, basically. <laughs> you, yeah. you need some negative. You need feedback. a hot stove. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I want, I want to, I want to see Tapuria uh, touch a hot stove and, and come away. Like, I'm not sure if I should do that again. Yeah. Toporia opened at minus 299, currently down at minus 321. Uh, so the odds are getting wider in his favor. Emmett opened at plus 253, currently plus 270. I mean, much as I feel that like Toporia is the only guy I really have any reason to pick in this matchup, I think that's yeah, probably uh, too wide. It really is. Emmett, like, Emmett could be the hot stove, man. Again, he's, yeah. he doesn't even have to get that lucky. He is that dangerous a puncher that uh, we've already seen Tapuria have to survive some really hairy moments against uh, much less tested finishers than Josh Emmett. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you're looking too, like Jeremy Stevens, Yara Rodriguez, they both took them two rounds to put Josh Emmett away. It's not like Emmett's not super tough still. Yeah. yeah you, you have know? to walk through a serious fire to get there. You really do. So, yeah, I don't know. Plus or minus 300. I mean. Yeah. I, I know Emmett looked like shit, but I'm not sure that you're uh, quite Yair Rodriguez yet. That man is unkillable. Yeah. For your best win to be Bryce Mitchell. Exactly. Like Bryce Mitchell is a tough dude, but he does not have the physicality that Josh Emmett has. Right. At all. 
All right. That brings us to a woman's uh, flyweight bout. Amanda Hebish, Macy Barber. And um, it's a good matchup. Yeah, this is a good matchup. It's interesting. It's interesting because it's two women who have kind of. I guess Hebish maybe has been learning her lessons a little more concretely because she really looked pretty rock solid against Vivia. I mean, maybe that's Vivia Raujo's limitations of wanting to have the exact kind of fight that Hebish is going to excel at, but being yeah, just a little, I don't even know if Araujo's slower than Hebish, but just a little, less she's just not as good as he every, everywhere i mean that's yeah he but still i i just rewatched that yesterday and like uh despite having like an amazing first three minutes then they get back up off the grapple out of the grappling and he eats like four of the cleanest shots you've ever seen mm-hmm. like just like the ones that got her ko'd by marina rodriguez yeah um i i think this is a Phil made this point and it was funny. He was like, I feel like both these fighters are an IQ test. Mm-hmm. And then we realized, I feel like everyone at women's flyway is an IQ test. And then we realized what we're describing is men's middleweight. Yeah. Yeah. A, a bunch of fighters who are either really broad, but kind of shallow in each phase or fighters who are super specialized. Yeah. And so there is like a sort of pretty clear game plan, whether it's a certain amount of pressure or just a certain phase to direct the fight into against everyone. And uh, yeah, it occurred to me like Macy Barber is like a, you know, for se- several years now, she's been like Jared Cannonier, but when he first got to middleweight, <laughs> maybe not even quite that good. Uh, Amanda Hebush is she's Christoph Yadko. Yeah. Right. Like sometimes Christoph Yadko will fight a, what looks like a really comprehensive performance. Just does everything right. Finds the takedowns at the right moments. You know, matadors people around the cage. The other time somebody just like walks up to Christoph Yadko and just beats his ass as I think is still perfectly possible uh, to happen to, uh, to Hebush. So I like yeah. it. Good, good middleweight fight. Yeah. Maybe that's more it. It feels like, yeah, it feels like Hebush has responded. Like, when she wins, her wins feel cleaner. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Always, I mean, her first big win was Mackenzie Dern, and it was a great performance. Yeah, yeah. I think they're all like that. When she wins, it's like, man, these people just can't keep up with her. She's too good at everything. Yeah, and Macy Barber, lately when she's winning, like now that people are used to the physicality of her game, and now that her she's even also she's facing better athletes. Yeah, you really have like you, you know it's it's really hard for Barber to pick out what is going to really separate her from her opposition. Yeah, she has to just kind of gut and grind her way through every round, and she can do it. She she has the toughness and the physicality, and the cardio to do that. Mm-hmm. But it, it you know it, it I guess it's a bit like 
like what if Nicholas Dalby were like actually stronger than his uh, most of his opposition? I mean, I guess he like they keep talking about how big he is. Maybe he is. Nicholas really... Dalby's strong as hell. I think he's yeah. He's not a, he's not the athlete kind of uh, power and everything, but he's certainly a yeah. hoss. The man is like yeah. his back is four feet wide. It's true. But Barbara, she's she's starting to feel more like Nicholas Dalby in that. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Where I think that's a pretty good comparison. Where it's just like, oh, OK, if you can put a pace on somebody and you can hoss them around, you can actually beat a lot of people. Yeah. But you might also lose to Cathal Pendred, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that is, I think, the thread I've seen. I mean, that is one thing that she's learned probably just through experience is that um, she wins when she gets hands on her opponent. Yeah. And so I think she has been a little more aware, a, a little more incentivized in these last three fights to just crash into people. Mm-hmm. Used to be that would just happen one way or the other, usually by round three. Um, but her striking is largely goofy. Uh, yeah. And she makes a lot of weird decisions. I feel like what we've seen more out of Macy Barber is a little more recognition that the only thing she's effective with at range are her kicks. Uh-huh. And that otherwise she has to be really close to the opponent, either right in their face or literally holding on to them in a clinch. Uh, so and she's, she's been is, getting there a little earlier, which I do like. Yeah. So the question is, if she gets close to Hebush, does she a control her? Mm hmm. You know, can she go to the mat with Amanda Hebush and come out of that good? Because Amanda Hebush, she, she's got really good, you know, transitional grappling. Yeah. There. Or can't, you know, do, can Hebush keep on her bike well enough standing to just keep Barbara from crashing in on her? Probably not. Yeah. In general, but. I think she's better equipped than most of these other women to handle those collisions, though. Like, yeah, that's kind of my feeling, is that she is a serious, just in terms of speed and snap, mm-hmm. a serious level yet above, above somebody like Andrea Lee. Yeah, and she can actually wrestle, which is something yeah. that Macy Barber, for all her time at Team Alpha Male, Still really can't do like, yeah, technically she is no great shakes as a wrestler. She's strong. That is how she horses people around, but her wrestling and, and her grappling, like, especially when she's put on her back is bad. Yeah. Technically speaking, it is bad. And, um, that is how he, game works is that she does a little bit of everything and will always poke and prod at different weaknesses to find out like, yeah, where are you going to crumble? she is going to discover that she can probably work Macy Barber on the ground. Yeah. I, I got, I think I got to pick Hibash in what will be like a, a pretty car crashy kind of fight, but yeah. I expect Hibash to just sort of come away from each of those interactions with a little bit of the better result where, you know, even if it's, Oh, we both traded one big wild shot she landed a little cleaner or hurt Barbara a little more or, Oh, we, you know, you took me down or I took you down and the, in the scramble, he was got the back or was able to hit a sweep and land some ground and pound or something like that. Like, 
I don't think either of these women are going to stay out of each other's way. Yeah. But I have to pick Kibush to kind of come through each of those interactions. Yeah. Um, I, I side with you on that. Yeah. But um, we know Barber has uh, the round three limit break. Yeah. If she's losing a fight, she will just go for it. She's insane. And I think Barbara's awkwardness belies her actual athletic ability. Like, she's a really good athlete. Yeah, she is. No. She's fast. She hits insanely hard for this weight. Mm-hmm. And she's very physically strong. So, yeah. and this is how she has, I mean, everyone, practically everyone's better than her technically in one mm-hmm. way or another. And she still beats most of them um, because of her physicality. Yeah. And. Uh, so, yeah, I think this looks like a kind of fight where, I, again, I have to pick Hebush, but it's 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 not like Hebush has to fight perfectly, like not even close to that. But there's a degree of that kind of theme here. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a margin. Well, there's a there's a slightly smaller margin for error than there would be in most of Hebush's other fights, given how limited yeah. Barbara is technically. It just seems very unlikely that Barbara is going to go away. Maybe Hebish will submit her. Maybe. That would be be the way to do it. Yeah, Barbara is insanely tough. Yeah, Barbara is insanely tough. So if she doesn't fall into a submission, then I don't think she's going to get knocked out. And she is going to keep after her and keep being strong and keep creating wild exchanges. That has not been what has beat Hebush in the mm-hmm. past. It's been fighters that can contend with her at range and make her walk on to shots over and over again. Yeah, but everyone loses if the opponent's athletic enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everyone. Hebush is a good athlete, but Barber's is top tier. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and this is the thing is that Barber has just been not, it's not pretty. No. There's not really a clean process to do it, but. She's been getting to those kinds of advantageous positions a lot earlier in her fights. It hasn't taken her two rounds of sort of aimlessly flapping around to realize, ooh, if I get close to them and grab onto their head with one hand, I can break their jaw into nine pieces with the other hand. She, you know, that the she she was starting to beat Andrea Lee up by the end of the first round. She was on her. She was throwing tight two threes like really right in her face just punching her in the chin grabbing hold of her uh, it didn't happen immediately but it happened a lot sooner than it used to so yeah yeah i think i think there is a there's a pretty a pretty small margin for error for hebush but nonetheless she is just clearly the better fighter yeah and it you know it has to be noted that andrea lee did take barbara down five times in that yeah. fight yeah, and yeah, that's that 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 to me is a massive safety valve for for Amanda here. Yeah, she is a legitimately good takedown artist for this division. That's why she's she's Yatko. Yeah, <laughs> it's Yatko versus Dolby. Yeah, uh, Barbara's not quite as good as Dolby either. <laughs> yeah, Dolby's a more technical fighter than Barbara by a good margin, actually. But yes. Hebush is opened at minus 154, is currently down at minus 191. Barber opened at plus 121, is currently up at plus 170. So those odds are getting wider, which, I mean, 
if somebody's going to finish this fight, it's a lot more likely to be Amanda Hebish because Barbara's striking is not so consistent standing that she's likely to knock anybody out. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, she can land a shot that would hurt Hebish, but she's not going to be able to follow up with a clean shot that's mm-hmm. going to put her away. And on the ground, then you have to look at like Hebish being the, the much better grappler as the much more likely fighter to end the fight. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just feels very likely to be a decision where we have some really scrambly, tough rounds, you know, mm-hmm. and especially if Barbara can just mash Hebush on the cage on, on on the cage for a couple minutes at a time. You know, that could make mm-hmm. the fight really messy to score. Mm hmm. Anyway, you know what it is? It's Yako versus Eric Anders. There we go. Yako won that one. So, yeah. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout because, of course, the heavyweights have to be on the main card. And everyone and the fans are so excited for this one. And this might be also a case, too, of. the fact that Austin Lane had a actual NFL career. Oh. And so they uh he actually knows what real money and bargaining look like. <laughs> so he may be on the main card because he actually could negotiate a contract worth a damn. That could be the case. Could be the case. Not not guaranteed, but potential. Anyway, Justin Taffa, Austin Lane. And um, Austin Lane is clearly a crazy, crazy, crazy good athlete Mm -hmm. and not a very good fighter. Yep. Yeah, he's um, I would say he's a little worse than the last NFL player who joined the UFC. Greg Hardy. He's certainly less studious which yes. was one which was a great credit to hardy really he genuinely developed technique and, and generally wanted to have like a patient i am going to try to do things to break you down kind of fight yeah wasn't... what he has that hardy didn't yeah uh is the ability to be the nail at least a little bit Greg, you know yeah. what I mean? Like Greg yeah, Hardy, Hardy would crumble the moment things stopped going his way. Greg Hardy is the most typical bully of all time. Yeah. And, and that is reflected very, very clearly in how his fights play out. The fact that like, yeah, like see, seeing him get like uh, broken by. Uh, um, Marcin Tybura. <laughs> that's exactly who I was thinking of by marching to Bora was like us doing one of the depressed us getting that locker nerd episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And the nerd just like uses his wedgied underwear that are over his head to like get behind the bully and choke him out. Yeah. Like, that shouldn't happen. Austin Lane has, he's grittier than Greg yes. Hardy, but he is much worse in every other respect. I don't think he's as powerful. I mean, Greg Hardy is a very powerful heavyweight. He kicked that one dude in the dick really hard. <laughs> it has to be said. On the contenders here, like, <laughs> Lane is fast for a for a big – like, you can easily see why this dude was in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. 
he is really fast for a dude that is six foot six. You do not realize that he is six foot six in there for how he moves. Yeah. And he kicked that dude in the dick with the speed of a striking cobra. Wow. Like, yeah, you barely that that foot barely seemed like it traveled through the air. And then you heard the crack <laughs> of the guy's cup. It was that. I am impressed oh, that that guy got back up and continued that fight, honestly. It was his cup that cracked. Remember when I was wondering why you were implying that the man was erect at the time? <laughs> when you described the crack. <laughs> um, yeah, but he's so awkward. He is very awkward. He has... Greg Hardy started with better technique, than boxing technique, than Austin Lane has. I, I mean, think... After the 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 uh, lightning fast uh, dick kick, after they restarted in that fight, like the attack he tried next on whoever that dude was, hideous. Yeah. Just like he got taken punch, down. Chin right flies away. up in the air. Like I tried like a flying knee and a left hook at the same time or something, and then oops, you body locked me and I'm down. Yeah, it really bad technique. Really raw. Un, it, un, unquestionably raw. It kind of makes me want to pick Justin Toffa. I mean, because I, I think uh, not because I think Justin Toffa is particularly good, but because I don't see Austin Lane taking him down. No, I don't think he wants to. Yeah, and that's where you know Toffa really struggles. Otherwise, he just kind of hangs around looking for the perfect punch, and I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities to land it. Yeah, he's going to have and, a guy whose chin is. I mean, six foot six with no defense ain't necessarily a good thing to yeah. be that tall. Like Justin Toffa can reach the high shelf. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna pluck that cookie jar down with delight, and it's it's gonna make him miss his next heavyweight <laughs> weigh in by even more than he already has. Yeah, I mean, it does have to be said that Toffa he was insta KO'd by Jorgen De Castro, so it doesn't mm-hmm. take a lot. But Jorgen is is more clinical. Than Lane. Jorgen's a puncher more like Justin Toffa. Like he's yep. limited, but he's a pretty good puncher. He's accurate. Yeah. He throws he throws him with decent form. His timing is good. The the big thing with Lane was that like the moment his opponent in that last fight didn't go away right away. Yeah. Lane would just spring at him to the point that he was chin to chin with the yeah, guy. Like he just couldn't like flapping him. into flapping into the pocket. And like you look at Lane's record here and you have ground and pound win in that fight where he swept his opponent. And what a technical sweep it was. Yeah. Just a hip bump after, you know, yeah. he's, he's insanely fast and, yeah, and the other guy was in mount and he couldn't he didn't know how to post. Yeah, and he was also just like uh, 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 a a a wad of uh, uh, a six foot two wad of chewing gum that they threw <laughs> the octagon <laughs> to fight an NFL defensive end. Mm-hmm. Like if Lane had lost that fight, that would have been sad on so many levels. Yeah. And so he hip bumped him from mount being mounted and finished him with ground pound. Then you have a win by leg injury. Mm-hmm. Lane does kick hard, so I would assume that's what happened there. But it's not exactly a replicable result. 
you have a round four win over Juan Adams. Uh-huh. Then you have a, you know, a 30-second a, a, a TKO KO over a five and three dude. And then a rear naked choke and a referee stoppage from strikes. So like a and these are trash opponents that he's he's beating too like yeah and like those are his recent wins they're not they don't paint the portrait well, he of literally an, lost to Greg Hardy yeah he literally lost to Greg Hardy on the Contender Series I didn't realize they matched those two up yep well that makes sense and he's been knocked out three times in the first round. And nothing about his... You pick over his recent record, and he is clearly violent, he is clearly big, and he is clearly fast, but nothing about his record paints a portrait of a clean power striker who is going to go out and land shots where you're like, oh man, right away, boom. That that dude is toast, you know? This record is not that record. It is not a, a serious killer. Yeah, he is just guessing and fumbling around in all these fights. And and as is often the case, many of the wins can more or less be attributed to the fact that there are there there is a serious dearth of good opposition at heavyweight. He's a six foot six guy who like he played yeah, of on course. five NFL teams. Like this yeah. isn't somebody who almost made the league or had one start or something. He wasn't a great NFL player, but NFL he is come a top tier athlete. Fighting regional heavyweights. He fighting should be winning. <laughs> normal heavyweights, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Toffa isn't a great heavyweight, but he's specialized. Yeah. He's fast. He's powerful. He's exactly the kind of fighter who will be happy to wait for Austin Lane to stumble into something. Yep. Uh, he's very patient. And yeah, unless Lane comes in like newly disciplined and is like, I'm going to move around and kick Justin Toffa only from long range, he's never demonstrated that he can do that. Yeah, he's he's and, just a mess. So, and, and you know, maybe he'll just come out and like flying knee Justin Toffa. Oh yeah, be it, it could yeah. easily happen. It's heavyweight, just not like Justin Toffa is that good. No, but I definitely have to pick Justin Toffa here. Okay, that makes two of us. Toffa is the favorite. Opened at minus one seventy six. Currently minus one seventy three. Lane opened at plus 157, currently at plus 154. Should also be... Oh, no, I thought maybe this fight was made on late notice because the odds haven't been open that long. But no. It's just a silly fight. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. David Onama, Gabriel Santos... And um, this will be I, fun. This will be awesome. I also feel bad for David Onama a little bit. I mean, he's 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 fast approaching Lando Venata territory. Yeah, that he's just going to keep getting these bookings because all of his fights are insanely exciting. Yep, and he just isn't really getting better. Yeah, and. Like all the t- all the baseline talent is there. Absolutely. All the athleticism is there. 
everything he needs to be there to be good is even right at there. times the skill. It's almost like yeah. it's, the, it's the discipline that's missing more than the skill. Yep. yep. He just makes terrible decisions, and he he has no ability or understanding of how to control a fight, of how to sort of direct what kind of fight is happening. Like whatever the opponent wants to do, he's going to test him in it, and they're going to test him, and it just everything turns into a brawl, basically. Yeah. He doesn't have to do that. Like when uh, you see him against like a scared opponent or a more cautious opponent, then you see a much cleaner David Onama. Mm-hmm. You even see it in the messy fights. You see flashes of it, but uh, he just gets himself into such fights that he, there's you. He, you'd never expect a guy with this level of experience to be able to to control himself in fights as chaotic as these. So everything falls apart pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, too, um, I was looking. I was like, where where is he training now? Because Glory MMA and Fitness was his his camp getting into the UFC, mm-hmm. which seems like a good fit for like, mm-hmm. you want to, you want to camp, you've got a wild man. You want somebody to calm him down. James mm-hmm. Krause was a very Greg Jackson sort of corner presence for fighters. Uh, now he is at factory X Muay Thai, which mm-hmm. is home of Anthony Smith, Brandon Royval, Alexander Hernandez. Yeah, and that does not give me as much hope. No, like, Dustin Jacoby is there. Um, yeah, which David become become best friends with Dustin Jacoby. Right yeah, now. <laughs> that's the influence that you need. It, in Dustin your life. Jacoby and Jonathan Martinez are there. Those are the people you need to. Yeah, yeah be absolutely glommed on to Dustin Jacoby is the guy. It's so funny to think of him there. He's the guy who definitely could strike. And so for him, factory X is an MMA gym. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there to learn all the other shit. Everyone else is there learning everything at factory X and the results are kind of. Yes. I don't know that I trust that they're going to really like calm him down and bring him in with like a, here's a steady, stable game plan. Yeah, they 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 certainly don't seem to have solved the problems of guys like Smith or Hernandez or yeah. yeah. And then on the flip side, Gabriel Santos just looks ready. He's awesome. Yeah, it was like him coming in like three weeks after the uh, the Bonfim brothers or something mm-hmm. like that, and having these just two like sets of amazing Brazilian prospects who were like regional champions. Yeah. Santos super, super impressive against a very good prospect in Lerone Murphy. Yeah. And with On super a, short notice, right? It yeah. Was, like, days of notice. Yeah. So assuming he's got a camp under his belt and he's in shape and he's just ready to take a good hard fight to Onama where he's always getting to move first and shoot and get in on takedowns first and open exchanges because Onama is a very reactive fighter. Yep. I got to pick Gabriel Santos. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's pretty defensively strong Mm -hmm. uh, on the feet. 
He's a good counterpuncher. He controls his the pace of the fight and his own pace really well. And um, he's also just super well-rounded. Like, yeah, this is a guy who's not going to pass up an opportunity to hit a takedown if it's there. Yeah. Um, also, the fact that he really diligently works the body. We have seen David Onama gas badly in some of his crazier fights. Yeah. I mean, he still um, fights like a madman, even of course, when gas. Yeah. But still, he doesn't, he's even messier. Yeah. Like, he, he, all the worst aspects of fighting like a madman are intensified when he's gassed, as they obviously would be. Santos is just a real professional, solid... He's he's like a finished product, basically. And he's only 10-1 and one now with the loss to Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, he is like a... I, I could see him contending in the next couple years. Yeah, people thought he beat Lerone Murphy even, you know. Yeah, he had a case for it, absolutely. Yeah. He fought brilliantly. He's He is a really good fighter. Yep. So, yeah, uh, until David Onama solves his problems, I'm not picking him against guys on this level of, of discipline and, and technique and well-roundedness and everything. Yeah, letting letting um, Nate Landwehr be the more disciplined man than you in the cage. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's rough territory, yep. you know. <clears throat> probably i think the first round will be really cool to watch oh yeah because probably santos will try to you know be methodical and onama will be technical for a little while yeah no then he'll, he'll do like a jumping switch kick to the head or something and mm-hmm. fall on his ass at the same time and if he lands it you're gonna be like oh my god he just killed that man and if when he doesn't you're like okay this is the beginning of the end exactly where he starts getting into scrambles where he has to scramble like mad all the time yeah for minutes and starts to gas and everything just gets wild from there yeah it really is santos's wrestling is a major concern because that that has often been the the start of the spiral hasn't it Uh, Mm -hmm. nama very shabazian-esque yeah he 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 scrambles well i mean he's an amazing athlete and um, but he, he he scrambles so hard that is when the pace of the fight really just flies out of his control. Although unlike Shabazzian, he does not break. No, he doesn't break. He doesn't break. He just he, he just he falls to pieces. But he doesn't. Yeah. Break. <laughs> he, he falls doesn't... to pieces, but the pieces remain like glued and bubble gummed and everything together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean Shabazzian could be pretty amazing if he had Anama's stick-to-itiveness, Honestly. Sure. But yeah, you got to pick Santos. It's just because, um, yeah, even Garrett Armfield had a round where he just like mm-hmm. put Onama through the paces, just, you know, like out punched him and took him down and stuff and made the fight really hard on him. And then David Onama was like, oh, wait, no, I'm just a way better athlete and bigger than you. I should just <laughs> stop having a really I, I should stop letting you have the fight you want. And then he just won. Yep. But that's not, you know. And he, and he wasn't beating Mowgli Benitez either until the knockout. Yeah. It's all right there at his fingertips. It's just. The man needs discipline. He needs. Yeah. And hopefully experience will bring it. But the experience we've seen so far seems to just be reinforcing some of his worst habits. That's why I'm yeah. I'm worried about the Lando Venata track for him. Yeah. Do we say he needs Henry hooked? 
or <laughs> I had the same thought before. I was like, ah, we 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 ring that bell way too often. <laughs> when you listen to us, everybody needs Henry Hooked. He is he's our most consistently admired uh, MMA striking coach. Yeah, I mean it's just for good reason, you know. Yeah, no flash in the pan, Henry Hooked. He just keeps churning out good strikers. Yep. But uh, yeah, his his schedule's probably pretty full too. He can't take all that, of the guys that we I want. Mean, to I just better. looked Ilya Topuria. He did his camp there for this hey, fight. Everyone's working with Henry Hooft. It, uh, that that man's schedule is definitely crammed to the gills. I mean, he's he's gonna end up being MMA's like Freddie Roach. Like, yeah. Uh, it's it's going to get to the point where Henry Hooft is going to need an entire stable of like apprentice coaches to actually do most of the cornering and training for him because there's no way he can personally. I mean, I guess this is probably one small advantage MMA gym culture and structure has over boxing is that MMA fighters. I'm yeah. usually mystified by this, but they still take classes. I know what the hell boxers don't do that. Right? No. What? Can you imagine Floyd Mayweather taking class? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even high level MMA fighters, they still take classes. They do group sessions. I know um, it's insane to me. It is absolutely insane to me. But if you're working with a guy like Henry Hooft, um, it means you probably get a lot more uh, actual practical advice and attention from Henry Hooft because yeah. You're in the room with sure. him a lot more than if he was having to just do a bunch of completely individual camps. Yep. I would assume this, this is some guesswork who knows, but the, the, there's no way this dude is out there personally. No full-time coaching <laughs> all these fighters. He can't be. It's just remarkable that it still seems to be working. Yeah. He's incredibly consistent. Onama opened at plus 198. He's down at plus. He got down as low as plus 188, but he's bounced back up to plus 201 recently. Santos opened at minus 226, got up as high as minus 214, but is back down at minus 229. So solid edge for Santos. It's well-deserved. His debut was fantastic, and it was against somebody every bit as powerful mm-hmm. and dynamic as David Onama and a lot more controlled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 this kind of feels like a step back for Santos from that loss. Honestly, yeah. That brings us to our final fight of the main card. Middleweight bout Brendan Allen, Bruno Silva. And um, Brendan Allen shouldn't lose this fight. He really shouldn't. He is a much better fighter than Bruno Silva. But what does better really mean? Better is only as good as the results you get. And Brandon Allen has gotten good results, but Bruno Silva has gotten some some results that you wouldn't guess he would get based only on his skill. Yeah. He's just super goddamn dangerous. Although it has to be said, looking back over his record now in, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. He hasn't gotten that many results you wouldn't expect. He is super dangerous, no question. You mean based on the opponents or? Yeah. I mean, yeah. based on the opponents. Like, knocking out Brad Tavares is, it's definitely impressive. Tavares has long been a 
very durable fighter. But he's also been a durable fighter who does occasionally get knocked out. And lately, he's looked less... Uh, <clears throat> he, he's lately looked less consistent than ever. Yes. Like, Tavares, Certainly the, the loss to Bruno Silva coming immediately after the loss to Drikas Duplessis. Yeah. A, there's a pattern there. Yeah. And then, you know, beating Jordan Wright. Yeah, okay. That You should knock Jordan Wright out in the first yeah, round. Obviously. Getting a comeback KO over Andrew Sanchez. Yep, that happens. That happens. Knocking out Wellington Terman. Sure. And even like Artem Frolov, who was 11-0 when Bruno Silva knocked him out. Now yeah. sixteen and six. Look, if there's a uh, if there's like a submission grapply guy that you're gonna knock out, uh, it's Gerald Mearshart. And instead, yeah. he got get his pants boxed off by Gerald Mearshart, and then yeah. got submitted. Yeah, Brendan Allen should be able to do that. He really should be able to do that. Br- Bruno Silva. I mean, the, the reason we're talking about him like this is that like Bruno Silva is super powerful, but he is next to formless as a striker. He is a pathological brawler. Like we were talking earlier yeah. about this idea that like what makes a really good technical in in fighter and you know what you would think of as a brawler, like somebody like Robbie Lawler, people like, oh Robbie Lawler loved to brawl and all that. But Robbie Lawler was a great technical in fighter because he was super relaxed in the pocket and had a great mind for extended exchanges of knowing his defensive positioning, knowing the positioning of his opponent, seeing the opportunities that were being created three or four or five punches into an exchange. Yeah. You, you know, you, I always think of like that Melvin Manhoof fight. Yeah. Where he's just getting like absolutely teed off on. This is like, Oh yeah, here's the one hook I need to land right now. And done, mm-hmm. you know? Bruno Silva is a brawler in the traditional sense of <laughs> I am riding the way pure. I, I mean, I would almost say panic, but I don't even know if it's panic with him. No, I think he's a guy. He's excited to do it. He's yeah, just he like, is he's, riding the wave of his adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. And he is just flying high, not a care in the world as long as he can be sitting in front of you trying to punch. And he's not thinking about his defense. He's not thinking about his offense. He's not thinking about anything. Not even thinking about the next punch. Like it, yeah. he sees it when it's there for him. And then he's, he's, he's fallen into that place on the back of the previous punch. Like yeah. stumbling around haymaker after haymaker. He's a really, really messy, disorganized striker. Yeah. Um, who happens to hit hard enough to make that work a lot of the time. Yep. And yeah, that like Alan, he does stand with his chin high. He has been getting better about that. Uh, Everything about his striking was getting better. Who's his coach again? Oh, yeah. oh I uh, think it might be Henry Hook. <laughs> yeah, his striking has been getting more compact, but getting getting more consistent, more defensively tight. You know, he's still gonna get knocked out by the Chris Curtis's of the world who mm-hmm. are just that much slicker and more consistent than him. But it's also possible a little down the road, Brendan Allen could, uh, 
navigate his way around a Hermanson style win over a guy like Chris Curtis. He's been sure. improving. He's been becoming more sort of flexible uh, as far as his game plans are concerned. Yeah. Um, he's just an all around improving kickboxer, as you and would expect. He is a shockingly good grappler. Yeah. Absolutely insanely shockingly good. Like the names on his resume. Yeah. Guys like on being able to choke out Andre Muniz. Yeah. And Christoph Yatko and Kevin Holland and Tom Breeze. Mm-hmm. He didn't choke out Tom Breeze, but dom you know, dominated him on the ground. Like he is just a really dangerous grappler. Yeah. And he's not, like, positionally perfect. He's very aggressive Yeah, uh, on the ground. But as a result, he gets a lot of finishes in his grappling, and he has only been finished once at the very beginning of his career. Uh, yeah. in, the gra- in the grappling, I mean. Yeah. Only been submitted the once a very long time ago. So, so. yeah. I'm taking Brendan Allen. There's just a lot of yeah. ways for him to win this fight, and I think uh, if he has a, a little Jack Hermanson in him, um, or a little Gerald Mearshart, more specifically, then um, he can win that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the all Bruno Silva is a good scrambler, but he's not, you know, he's not great about the bad positions he'll put himself in. No, and he always ends up in bad positions because yeah, because he way over swings. He's yeah, he's insane. So yeah, I, I you got to pick Brendan Allen here. This, but, is a, uh, this is a pretty good matchup, though. I mean, I get it. Yeah, I like it. Fine. Sure. Brendan Allen just stacking up wins. I mean, I don't know what else they're going to do with a guy like Brendan Allen. But if he ever gets to like a title shot, it's going to be this. It was always going to be this kind of road. Yeah. For a fighter like Brendan Allen, a Benil Darius track, just mm-hmm. racking one up after the other against the middle of the pack. Allen opened at minus 196, got all the way up to minus 150, but it's back down at minus 175. Bruno Silva opened at plus 152, got us down as low as plus 137, but is currently back up to plus 155. I'm not surprised those odds are getting longer in Allen's favor. It seems like they definitely should not get too close because Silva, uh, he's got a he's got a good puncher's chance, mm-hmm. but it's basically a puncher's chance, you know. There's no, I, I can't see a consistent form way to win, for Silva to win this fight, you know? No, it's like chaos happen. happens and he lands a shot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On that, if Brendan Allen hadn't been finished with strikes as many times as he has, which isn't that many, yeah, I would, I'd be even more confident in him. It's yeah. just that he, he might get touched on the chin. Yeah. And with him spending a lot of time training under hoof lately, it hasn't been happening lately. So, yep. Yep. You know, got to take that. Almost like Charles Oliveira, like even the shots that yeah. do hit him, he just looks a lot more comfortable with it now. Yeah. He probably does a lot of monitored hard sparring with Henry Hooft, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks like it. He looks like he's he's he just doesn't flinch and, and get surprised by shots yep. as often. And so that, I mean, that's so much of what makes somebody durable is do you see the shots coming. Absolutely. All right. For those of you who aren't subscribers to our Substack, we'll be signing off. 
To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the 6th Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.